Good morning, Areola Bible Church. Thanks again for joining us this morning. A few announcements for you. First of all, we have no youth group tonight. No youth group tonight. Second of all, Jonathan and Amy DeVry, which are the daughter and son-in-law of Daryl and Julie Forcing, will, will be presenting their ministry to us on Zoom. They have a wonderful, wonderful ministry out in Alaska. They were presenting their uh, ministry to Sarah and I the other day. They came over to our house, and I would just highly, highly recommend and encourage you to join this Zoom meeting at 3 o'clock today to hear what they have to say uh, about their ministry. It's some very good stuff going on there that you're going to want to be a part of, I would hope. And congratulations to our graduating seniors, Caleb and uh, Podgornoff and Carrie Forcine. We're grateful that they've been a part of our youth group. Make sure that you reach out to them. If you don't know how to get a hold of them, get a hold of me and I'll help you do that. Send them a note, send them an email, send them a card, a graduation gift, whatever it is that you want to do. But make sure that you reach out uh, to them and, and say congratulations. At 10 a.m. on Tuesday, we're going to help unload Pastor Craig and Erica's uh, truck uh, help them get their boxes unloaded and into their house. If you need their address or if you'd like to help with that and you don't know where they're going to be, just give me a call uh, and I will gladly uh, assist you in that. But we want to make sure that we help them and bless them and get their stuff unloaded quickly so that they can get unpacked and start uh, living here and being involved in our church. We're so grateful that they are uh, going to be here. A couple of anniversaries this week. We have Mike and Lori Olander. They are celebrating 35 years on the 25th. And we have Keith and Teresa Reynolds. They celebrate 31 years on the 27th. So congratulations. As we turn our attention to the Lord this morning, we find these words in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 that Craig preached over last week. It says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, and all the things going on in the body of our church, even in the midst of this shutdown, Lord, the fact that we've hired a pastor and they're moving up here is a wonderful thing that you have done for us. The fact that we have two graduating seniors who have been such a wonderful part of our church and a part of our youth group, Lord, we've been so blessed to have them uh, be here in our midst. Lord, I pray that they would be blessed, Lord, that you would use Areola Bible Church and the, and the congregation here to really love on them as we send them out uh, into the world uh, to do different things, going to college or going to work or whatever it is that you have for them, Lord. We pray that you would give them peace and comfort as they move on in life. Lord, we pray that we would always make them feel welcome and that they have a home here at Areola Bible Church. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for who you are and what you're doing in this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The word of the Lord says this, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience 
as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sacrificed by or sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to you, brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in prayer this morning again, just thankful for your word, thankful that we can trust it, thankful that we can live by it. Lord, as we dive into your word this morning to hear a message, Lord, may we be changed by you. Father, may we grow closer in our walks with you. May we learn how to be better disciples of Jesus. Father, let us be a people that truly lives for you. Lord, we love you, and again, we're so grateful for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we dive into our message this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. I will clarify, however, I'm not going to go over verse 28 today because I think it pertains more to next week. Therefore, I will read it, but I will not uh, be going over the details of it until next week. That being said, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray that as we dive into our message this morning, Father, that as we learn about the cost of discipleship, Lord, as we learn about what it means to truly follow after you, Lord, that we would be encouraged by you. Lord, that we would be encouraged and challenged. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for the sacrifice that you have made for us, and I pray that 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 alone would compel us and encourage us and inspire us to turn around and live for you. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this country, we love to celebrate the 4th of July. 
We love to celebrate our Independence Day where we get to talk about our freedoms and our rights. We also like to give credit where credit is due. So we celebrate things like Veterans Day where we thank everyone that served in our military or that is serving in our military. We celebrate things like Memorial Day where we remember those who have lost their lives fighting for freedom. You see, we understand that freedom actually isn't free. It comes at the cost of the lives of men and women who have served to fight for freedom. Because of this sacrifice, Americans are joyed to give back and to serve those who have served us. And what a wonderful thing that is. Our main point today, that as Christians, the weight of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us in order to free us from sin should inspire us to joyfully give our whole lives to him. Right? Not to diminish anything that our veterans have done for us because their sacrifice is absolutely amazing. But what Jesus has saved us from is way better than anything this earth has to offer. The fact that you and I are no longer enslaved to sin because of what Jesus has done for us ought to inspire us to turn around and live our whole life for him. Before we dive into our text this morning, I want to give a little bit of context. Last week, Pastor Craig talked about how Jesus had laid the foundation for his disciples from the moment he began his ministry up until now. He laid that foundation for them. And now he's beginning to go a lot deeper with them. He asks the question here in verse 15 of chapter 16. He says, who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus has now revealed his, himself and his mission to his disciples. With these things being known, Jesus now gives these instructions to his disciples. Let's read Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, in my Bible, I don't know about yours, but in my Bible, this little heading before these verses begin says, Discipleship is costly. And right there, that ought to get your attention, right? Because oftentimes we're kind of conditioned to only talk about the love and the grace and the peace and the forgiveness that are found in Christ. Which all of this is true, but wait a second, you're telling me that being a disciple of Jesus costs me something? 
Now, obviously, I'm not talking about earning your salvation because we know that that's not possible. We know that we have salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But being a disciple of Jesus does cost you something. We often leave the cost of discipleship out of our gospel presentations. We amplify the fact that Jesus gave everything when he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. But we often leave out the fact that being a follower of Christ costs us our total devotion to him and to his mission. We tend to think it might sound unattractive to the people that we're sharing the gospel with. The fact is, though, it's a joy to serve Jesus with your whole life. Is it hard sometimes? Absolutely it's hard sometimes. I would even argue that it's hard more often than it is not because following Jesus is so counter to the culture that we live in today. Everything that Jesus stands for is against what this world is telling you to do. So yeah, following Jesus can be hard sometimes, but that doesn't mean it's not joyful. Does it require effort and attention? You betcha. Will you have to make some personal sacrifices for the sake of the gospel? Absolutely. Of course we give up some things in order that we can do better things. As believers, we know that there's reward and eternal life to those who are in Christ and punishment and eternal separation from God in hell for those who are not. I'm not trying to sugarcoat the gospel here. That's the fact of the matter. That's the truth. Both of these paths require your life. You're either living against God or you're living for him. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for, towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, in Romans 5.10, Paul declares that we were enemies of God. He says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Even though we've been bought with a price by Jesus, we know that there's forgiveness as we grow with him. Right? Romans 6 makes it very clear that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It talks about how you were slaves of sin, and now that you are in a relationship with Christ, you are now slaves of righteousness. Paul doesn't differentiate between the two. He says you were slaves of sin, and now you're a slave of righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, it was for past, present, and future sin. He knows that we're going to struggle through our Christian walk. And he's right there to help us when we fail. If we're not in Christ, we're simply enslaved to sin. Think about that. If we're not in Christ, we're just simply enslaved to sin. There's grace found in being in a walk with Christ. So how do we live for Christ? 
Obviously, there's no one formula. But I think this passage lends some pretty good ideas. I have two points for you this morning, both with an A and a B subpoints, on how disciples live for Christ. Let's reread uh, verses 24 and 25 where we'll find our first point. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must die himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And on those days when criminals who were crucified, they were forced to carry their own cross, as was Jesus. The Romans did this because it was symbolic that someone who had been a lawbreaker, someone who had been found guilty, was now submissive to the law. Carrying that cross was a, sim- was a symbol that they were now submissive to Roman rule. Although it was too late for these criminals, this symbol served as a witness to onlookers that you will submit to Roman rule no matter what. It doesn't matter. In one way or another, you will submit to Roman rule. So the first point that I have for you this morning is that disciples submit to the authority of God. Disciples submit to the authority of God. Now certainly in these verses, Jesus is indicating to his disciples and to us that they will suffer for the sake of the gospel. There's no question about it. But he's also telling them and us to submit to his authority, that symbol of carrying the cross and being a witness to onlookers. As disciples submit themselves under God's authority, we are witnesses of his power and love to those who are watching. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says to pick up your cross daily and follow me. I love how Luke adds that detail in. Daily. As we walk through life, we're constantly battling against the flesh. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, conscious decision to submit to God's authority. Submit, it's one of those words that we say, yet sometimes we fully don't understand. In our culture, this word can be viewed as very negative. We might think of a submissive dog or a memory from your childhood where someone forced you to do something that you didn't want to. It can be viewed as forceful, but Jesus calls his disciples to willfully submit. Look at that look there in verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So let's define this word submit. According to the dictionary it means to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. In other words, to submit to God's authority is a decision that you make on a regular basis. We know in the future that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, but why would you want to wait until then? 
you can make the choice here and now and every day into eternity to submit yourself underneath the authority of God. Don't wait. I give you these two challenges when it comes to submitting to God's authority. First, submit when it's hard. When pride tells you that you know what's best, get on your knees and submit to God. You've heard Proverbs 16, 18 saying, Pride goes before destruction. Pride has been at the heart of humanity since the first humans existed. It has been the downfall of kings and warriors and countries and pastors and teachers and everyone else in between. I reference pride here because that's what makes submission hard. When you're in charge, when you're the maker of your own destiny, or whatever other prideful excuse you want to use, whenever those excuses come your way, it's hard to submit to God's authority. James 4, 6 tells us that he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we submit to God's authority and lay down our pride, we're able to rest in God's grace. So submit, even when it's hard. Second, submit when you're tempted. In my own life, I oftentimes find that I face temptation when I'm walking closely with God. You and I both know that if we fail to submit in the midst of temptation, we will give in. We're constantly hearing of godly men and women ruining their witness and ruining their lives because they gave in to temptation. Without being under the authority of God, you and I are weak. We are so weak. Satan wants you to give up and to give in. The fewer people you're able to witness to is a victory in the eyes of Satan. Let's look at a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Some of you may have memorized these verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as, a common, as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. It's God that provides the way out of temptation, not you. <coughs> Excuse me. You can't do it on your own. You need God's help. You need to submit to his authority in order to resist those temptations. We already read James 4, 6, but let's read James 4, 7, and 8. James 4, 7, and 8 says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Submit when it's hard and submit when you're tempted. The next point we have is following uh, these, the verses in uh, verse 26 and 27 here in Matthew chapter 16. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. The second point is that disciples focus on eternity. Disciples focus on eternity. I think of the competitive athlete Right? Athletes focus on the finish line. They think about it all the time. The professional football player is thinking about the Super Bowl. The baseball player is about the World Series. The soccer player is thinking about the World Cup in season and out of season. They're eating right. They're exercising. They're practicing their skills. They are thinking about winning all the time. And they're acting and behaving and living as such. Christians should live their daily lives with their eternity in mind, with the finish line in mind. I have an illustration for you today uh, that came out a long time ago by Francis Chan. You may have seen it, uh, and he uses a rope, but I have brought an extension cord instead. <laughs> he says, imagine that this cord goes on for eternity. This cord represents your life. This represents your existence. And this little end of it, the plug, represents your time on this earth. So about that much, about that much of your existence is on this earth, and the rest of it goes on and on and on for millions and millions and millions of years in eternity. But what are we doing with this time? What we do here in this little bitty amount of time affects how you live for the rest of your existence. And again, I'm not saying that you're earning your salvation at all with this time on earth. We stated earlier that that can't be done, that once we're saved, we're always saved, and we are saved by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus, knowing that he died for our sins on the cross, was buried and resurrected on the third day, and lived a perfect and sinless life. That's what saves us from our sin. But this affects how we live in eternity. I think the Bible is very clear that there are separate judgments, right? There's a judgment for the whole world, and there's a separate judgment for Christians who will be rewarded for what they have done on this earth. We work so hard in this life from the moment we start working to the moment we retire just so that we can have a nice little nest egg. We live, we work, 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 and then we retire and we live comfortably for a few years and then we die. 
I'm here to tell you folks that if that's your goal in life, you're doing nothing for the rest of your existence in eternity. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being wealthy. Certainly, wealth goes a long way in the hands of Christians. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you spend your life just thinking about you and about your comfort and about your desires and about what you want, you're doing nothing for your eternal reward and the way that you live in your eternity. So as we focus on eternity, the subpoints I have for you is focusing on eternity helps us submit to God's authority. Just think about it. If we focus on the here and the now, the instant gratification this world has to offer, of course, we're more than likely to give into temptation and to live pridefully. If we focus on the end reward, it helps drown out the noise. <coughs> Excuse me. It helps drown out the noise of the things that don't matter. I love the stories of young college graduates who come away from school with a petroleum engineering degree and they stand the chance to make millions, but instead they become seminary students and pastors and teachers. Because they've come to understand what matters in this life. And likewise, I love the stories of the older couple that has made a bunch of money and they retire. And then they start giving and serving like crazy. Because they too have come to understand what really matters in this life. Focusing on eternity also helps us make wise decisions. Anything that we could gain or possess on this earth is nothing compared to what Jesus has in store for us in heaven. All that work that we do, we're just spinning our wheels if we're just doing it for us. Nothing that this world has to offer compares to what Jesus offers us in heaven. Why would you not want to work towards your eternal life with God in heaven? It's like asking a homeless man to give up his cardboard box and his spot under the bridge in exchange for a mansion. It's a no-brainer, yet somehow you and I, we cling, we cling to the things of this world we cling to what we're comfortable with, right? We're not sure what exactly it'll look like in heaven all the time. And so we're, we get nervous and we get scared and we cling to those little comforts when we can't tell that we're living in a box. We can't tell that what we have is terrible compared to what God has offered us. Living your life for Jesus as his disciple is a joyful experience. That definitely requires sacrifice, but it's joyful and it's way better than anything this world has to offer. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Turn with me there. 
Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. In the book, The Cost of Discipleship, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this regarding the parallel passage of what we're studying today uh, in Mark 8. It says, Jesus says that every Christian has his own cross waiting for him, a cross destined and appointed by God. Each must endure his allotted share in suffering and rejection. But each has a different share. Some God deems worthy of the highest form of suffering and gives him the grace of martyrdom, while others he does not allow to be tempted above that which they are able to bear. But it is the one and the same cross in every case. To go one's way under the sign of the cross is not misery or desperation, but peace and refreshment for the soul. It is the highest joy. As we conclude our time this morning, following Christ with your life is a joyful experience which reaps eternal reward. As you submit to God's authority and as you focus on eternity with him, you will find yourself in joyful service to the Lord. You're called to serve God where you are. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. You're called to live for God and to be a witness for Him where you are. Whether that's at the mechanic shop, the fast food restaurant, the grocery store, the farm, the ranch, it doesn't matter. You're called to be on mission, living for God where you are. However, this passage and this sermon, they do remind me and make me think of those who have answered the call to be missionaries. Not everyone has that call, and that's totally fine. But some of us do. So if you would this week, reach out to a missionary that our church supports. Join that Zoom call at 3 o'clock today and hear about the mission work that's going on in Alaska. Or call someone that you support personally. Encourage them. Pray for them. And ask if there's any way that you can serve them. I hope this message has encouraged you. I hope this message has challenged you to live your life for Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for who you are and for what you've done for us on the cross. And even though we cannot earn our salvation, Lord, you have freely given us life in you and you have freed us from sin. But Lord, you do call us to turn and live for you. Lord, may we take that calling seriously. May we take our cross daily and follow you. May we submit to your authority. Father, we need you for this task. And we're grateful that you are a God who understands where we are. Lord, thank you again. We love you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.